Hi, this is Ryan Bloom from Urban Bonfire. On today's episode of the Fireside Chat, a really fun and enjoyable conversation with John and Janet McCulley of McCulley Design Lab in Solano Beach, California. Now, how many architects and design firms have these types of mottos on their website? Good ideas are usually simple ideas. Design in the absence of thoughtful content is decoration. A strategic design process takes discipline for all parties involved. Design the experience first, not the objects. These are just a few of the guiding principles that John and Janet have deployed into their projects. The conversation is going to be really interesting and is going to cover all the types of topics that are relevant today, from how they have transformed their home property through COVID, to the demands of clients, to how they've seen the outdoor experience grow in their projects. I hope you enjoy this really fun and interesting conversation with John and Janet McCulley. Enjoy. I've said to people, if I was moving to California, which would not be hard for me to want to do, given, uh-huh. you know, uh, Solano Beach would really be very much kind of at the top of my list. I think it's such a beautiful blend of not so small that it feels insular, but it's but it's it's also not so big that it feels it has a really great chemistry to it. I, I loved going on, on uh, you know, I was there for business on Cedros Avenue and the brew pub uh, that does passion fruit beer of all places. I just, yes. I, I just, I feel great when I'm there. Oh, that's so, so just, great. So you were here recently, like you've been here a number of times or? I have been to Solano Beach, let me just think, in the last uh, 12 months, half a dozen times. Oh, you, we're on Something we're, like that. We're on Cedros. That's where we are. We're literally. Amazing. I'm guessing you might have gone to European Bath and uh, or Perch or who? Or uh, we're not in the current Perch store in the new one in Solano. We are in all the other Perch uh, showrooms, including UTC in in San Diego. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we've been uh, we've definitely been around there a lot. I, I it's somewhat reminiscent to me. Um, I had very good fortune and. I want to talk about this, especially with John, given the experience in uh, in retail and in real estate before. But uh, I lived in downtown Carmel for a year and a half. Um, but that was painful. Yeah, it it, it wasn't bad. I got to tell you, it wasn't it wasn't bad. It was um, it was probably one of the more joyous experiences of my life in terms of not living at home and, and sort of being abroad. Yeah. But it had that feel where it was big enough that it didn't feel like uh, everyone knows everything going on, but small enough that you still walking to the coffee shop would see three or four people that you know. Um, And I get the feeling from my time in Solano Beach that it has a very similar level of scale, if you will, in, in that way. Yeah, it's got a good vibe. It really does. It really does. We both as partners in the business, but then also separately have both been on this street now for over John, you know, yeah, 20 years. Yeah, 22. Yeah. 20, yeah, 20-some-odd years. And it, we've seen it evolve and change naturally as the years have gone by. It used to be Cedros Design District only, and now mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's got cafes and, and wineries and, and craft brew. But um, it's, we are literally like, we can, we're two blocks from the beach here and um, mm-hmm. across from the Billy app, if you're familiar with that, the Billy mm-hmm. app, which is that music venue. And sure. we love just like you walk out the street and we'll see like 20 people we know. Um, we also have an interest in some other businesses or a business on the street. So um, it's, we love it. You know, coming to work is just, it's a pleasure because it's, it's a great little community and um, a lot of creative studios as well. So I would say, yeah, there's a similarity to Carmel. <clears throat> for sure. Yeah, I think a little bit more vibrant, if I could say. I mean, at mm-hmm. the time I was in Carmel, I was uh, in my, let me think, I was in my m- almost mid to late 30s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was single at the time. And Carmel is probably not, you know, if you're a, you know, a single guy in his 30s, is not probably the ideal place to to be. It's far more, it's, right. a more, it's an older demographic. But right. I mean, in terms of Santa Cruz and Big Sur and and going out into the Carmel Valley and and uh, you know how many experiences one can that's one of the amazing things about California just the number of experiences someone can have whether it's they want to be around 10,000 people or they want to be 
in an almost meditative state in nature? Do they want to ski? Do they want to, I mean, the amount of experiences available to someone within a reasonable drive radius, Mm -hmm. I don't know anywhere in the world that comes even close. You're you're so right. Um, And um, part of what we thought would be fun to talk about today a little bit would be relative to something that has presented itself um, for us uh, as a firm and personally over the last six months. But to your point, we live just three miles east of here but we go from coast to three miles east. There's people, our neighbors have horses, goats, pigs. We live in a eucalyptus grove. You know, it's a, it's a totally different, like you feel like you're in entirely, in an entirely different, you know, county, but yet we're, you could walk to the beach basically. It's yeah, it's a really it, like Carmel. There is a, there are a lot of similarities. And, and the number of microclimates, I mean, I remember the idea of being in, you know, in Carmel and I was, I was living in the, we were working for one of the major developers on the revitalization of Fort Ord. And in my previous life before Urban Bonfire, I was part of an international real estate development firm. And I'm sharing this with you, John, because in reading your bio, there's, there's some amazing um, uh, similarities, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. My firm was charged with the development of the main streets of new uh, new urbanist projects in mixed-use mm-hmm. environments, college towns, resorts, working with cities on the revitalization of downtowns or main streets. And my role, and it's rare that you see it, and, and Janet, I, I saw it in your experience as well, was experiential retail. That was my role within the company, planning and working with local operators to develop every coffee shop, bakery, restaurant, yoga studio, hotel that would make these places come to life. Um, And everything I learned about it and what actually became Urban Bonfire was a passionate passionate part of my youth and my story, but with with the intelligence or the data coming from what is the internet going to do in terms of changing the way we, the way we 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 have relationships with brands and with products, uh, female-driven family purchasing, which you know one of the things about outdoor kitchen is that the female de- demographic was historically ignored from outdoor cooking and outdoor kitchen for much of its history, and all of these factors helped me to incubate urban bonfire not into just a a retail store which is what it was when it started but trying to address a lot of the things i'd learned in real estate and you come from it seems like from your experience a very similar path of of working i remember with um with uh with fitch richardson um uh, and uh, smith in how did that, I, I know we're jumping around a little bit, but I'm excited because of, and I, 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 I can't finish our conversation without talking about your mantra that you post on your website, which is so effing cool. And I love the way you did it. I'm going to get back to that part, but maybe John, can you tell me a little bit about your experience and working in product development, real estate, all these things, and Janet, yours in experiential retail, and how you culminated that into a firm that is atypical in that you, in, in, in a very uh, self-declared way, you basically say, for us, it's not about residential or architectural, commercial. It's about working with clients on vision and design in a creative environment and platform that is not linear and is not labeled and has complete parameters on it. So... I know it's a long-winded question, but I want to hear more than anything else about your story, your experience, how you came together, and and so yeah, how sure. about it? Because well, I want to I want to hear it all. Yeah. I'll, I'll do an edited version up front. I, I I think as a preface, if you you may, or may not recall, but Eames did a wonderful diagram, you know, probably 50, 60 years ago where it shows overlapping arches of interest, office interest, public interest, client interest. And there's an intersection there in the center. And the interesting thing about that, that concept is that um, if you look at Eames' background, he was an architect, but obviously did product and graphics and exhibitry, et cetera. So he didn't see, um, unlike a lot of 
design professionals within specific industries, there's a silo that you have to protect. And then you build bridges across and you do another silo and you transfer information to that. Um, I, think, I think the key is that the uh, more holistic and the more you blend the disciplines, the more nutritional it becomes and that it's not ownership-based or knowledge-based or creativity-based. It, it starts at first with an understanding that there needs to be a, a problem defined that's accurate to be solved, not just accept what's given to you as the, the, uh, the uh, problem. So just quickly, when I graduated undergraduate degree, um, from the University of Illinois is industrial design. And one of my professors said, don't go and interview, go where you want to live and get a job. And I thought that was a brilliant you know, piece of, uh, of philosophy. So I like to ski, so I moved to Salt Lake City and got a job working for an exhibit design firm there. So, and they did museums and exhibitry. And as a product designer, I was the only one there. They had architects and Etc. but no product designer. So that was an amazing experience because there's research involved in museums, research in, in exhibits. You have to understand the information of, uh, of, of, of video and topography and sequence of traveling through a space. So that was my first you know, uh, job right out of school, which I think was extremely powerful. And then I was offered a job back in Chicago uh, for a large uh, a corporation to help define their brand uh, within the retail environment, which involved architecture, interior, graphic, user experience, working with engineers, and it was an international firm. And from there, I went back um, uh, to University of Illinois, got my master's um, under the industrial design program, but it was in Japanese design and philosophy. So my professors were in landscape architecture, architecture, theater, uh, which was kabuki, uh, et cetera, on and on. So that was an amazing two years of just, you know, deep down um, philosophical aspects of trying to understand uh, this complex aspect of what design is. And then I was offered a teaching position in Montana State which I accepted, taught there, went back to uh, another position at Ohio State and taught design in the industrial design department there, which is a combination of graphic, product, and interior. And then offered a position for Richardson Smith at that time to start their retail design uh, sector because they had product design, engineering, no interior whatsoever, and, and no retail. So I started that. And we grew that to one of the top 20 retail design firms in, in the United States. And then we merged with a company called Fitch, which is out of London. So at that time, it was Fitch, Richardson Smith, and uh, eventually transitioned to Fitch. And um, so during that time, you, again, get involved in a whole bunch of user experience-based research up front before you even start the project. It's not about the design, it's about solving the problem and making sure that the foundations are, are, are clearly articulated as to what need to be addressed, who's on the team at what stages, but it's always, it's always a holistic, blended, multidisciplinary approach. And that's how we've always practiced. And, and uh, so in 1988, um, I moved out here to start the firm here. And uh, with that principle, which was not practiced in Southern California, in San Diego. It's primarily architectural firms, interior firms, graphic design firms. No one was really doing the three different blending at all. So that's where um, we established that, um, that core philosophy in that we define the problem, we integrate the brand within the commercial environment. And typically for the first 20 years of practice, it was all commercial, retail, banks, restaurants, et cetera, and, um, and, and grew, and grew pre pretty large uh, to, to the point that we had two offices at one time. Um, um, uh, but, at, but as a preface to that, how I met Janet is that we were doing the um, America's Cup Village. And the America's Cup Village uh, was in the early 90s, and Janet was working with a PR firm at the time. And, uh, uh, and we met under that project, um, which was a fantastic project to design an entire village on a little peninsula in the downtown San Diego for the stage, the exhibitory, the, the, the venue, et cetera. 
And um, so from that point on, um, you know, we've, you know, we've been in, uh, in San Diego, moved up to Salon Beach in 1998 and have, have been there since. So that was a quick summary of 30 something years. <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite diverse. And, and Janet, I, you know, can you add to that? You're a little bit about where you yeah. came from and how um, your, your story, if you will, I, yes. I'd like to very much like to hear that. Absolutely. So mine is a more circuitous, non-traditional um, path to how I arrived here today. But my experience um, primarily started out in kind of placemaking and actually product marketing for a large, a large um, restaurant chain. Okay. Um, and that was kind of my real first real job out of college was helping them create the a unique consumer experience, how to activate, um, you know, the consumer when they enter the store. And so um, I learned a lot about, you know, research and how to really um, use research to guide your um, design decisions in, in the restaurant environment. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then, um, I moved into the creative side of that business, helping with, um, directing, you know, advertising voice narrative, um, um, point of purchase materials, you know, again, to activate better activate the consumer. Um, I, I was in that business for almost 10 years. Um, and then I pivoted entirely and um, uh, we share a great love of animals. Uh, John and I, as do many of our colleagues, our, our pets are our kids essentially. Mm -hmm. So completely pivoted and started a small retail chain um, called Metropolis, which is a, a small, uh, it's, a, it's like Whole Foods meets, you know, crate and barrel for pets, but we don't, we didn't sell animals. So we started this really cool, um, pioneering um, uh, experience, retail experience. So taking uh, my, my experience in placemaking and then partnering with John and his firm, which at the time I was not part of, and created this really cool environment um, for pet parents to come in and bring their pets and, um, and find really cool, unique products. So um, expanded that and grew it, um, ultimately um, sold that off. And then when we sold it, or stepped out of it, I should say, we, um, John and I have always known we had complementary skill sets in placemaking, in design, in brand, um, brand development. So we joined forces, gosh, 11 years ago. Mm. And, um, and uh, we've been at it ever since and really evolved the, the offerings of the firm. As you said, we are non-traditional and at times we'd struggle with like the identity crisis. Like what? Because people would be like, okay, wait a second, you do space, then you do brand and then, you know, but really we are a creative studio and we're all about creative problem solving. Um, uh, again, interior, the interior experience being, you know, kind of our, our, our primary offering, but brand, brand activation is something that we really enjoy and my hypothesis, and I could be wrong, is that may have been more of a challenging explanation five or 10 years ago than it yeah. is today when yeah. now, you know, unified voice, omni-channel, uh, customer experience that goes from web to retail to event to social yeah. to every packaging where unified voice and channel is at the very top of the food chain that every great company is, is now seeking. And, yes. you know, the idea of trying to align three, four or five, and I've been in this myself with, you know, I, I'm, I'm an investor in a, in a three location uh, quick serve food concept here in Montreal and also have interest in a, in an award-winning bakery, all of these things very much passion projects, but we're just in the midst of completing our third store. Mm -hmm. And I've learned so much in the last two years yeah. of Urban Bonfire working so much with the design community. Right. And I have yet to find a firm that can handle the architecture and the design and understand visuals and logo identity and packaging and fonts. And yeah. with one United, it is always the greatest challenge is to align common vision. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, also, also as a, in your roles that you've played, it's extremely difficult to um, play marriage counselor with four different design firms. And <laughs> right. what's happening is that you have, you have, obviously you have ownership and ego and, and identity and who gets credit for what. And for clients, um, especially at the corporate level, it, yeah. they don't have time for that. I mean, who has time to babysit people? Um, mm-hmm. it, and, and so when you work with a, a firm that has the resources to understand the language is combined, it's one, it's, it's not a style, it's, 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 it's a true language that has to be communicated. Right. And it's not competitive. And that becomes simpler, it's still complex, but it's more simpler in that it's not schizophrenic when it gets released in the marketplace. It's like, who, oh yeah, I can see where the architect stopped and now here's where the interior person stepped in. And then they handed it off at the very end to the graphic people. Oh, and then they threw some plants in at the very end. You know? <laughs> and uh, let's throw, oh, let, oh, we forgot about the signage. So let's get this, oh, we don't have a permit. Okay, so now that's six months out. So it, it's, it's, um, it's almost a, a gift to a client to have one point of contact and, and, and there's a steward for, for the brand and that steward makes sure that all disciplines are integrated seamlessly. Right. With, that, with that defined or, or more defined, if you will, role, does that come also with greater um, responsibility and sensitivity because there is so much riding on you intermingling all of those areas of expertise? So is there a more of an emotional investment because I'm not just the architect, I'm not just the designer, I'm not just the graphic designer, I am really, in your words, you are the steward of that customer experience in, in, in many senses of the word. You know, well, I think, I think in the first place, it's difficult to find um, like-minded individuals on the corporate side. And that's why uh, we've transitioned a bit more into residential because it's... Okay. it's um, uh, people either get it or they don't. And uh, there's a discipline that has to be followed to execute um, creative solutions. And yeah. it's not like saying, I want to get in shape and I bought the book and um, I read it. Now, what, how come I'm not in shape? You know, you have to execute, um, you know, the physicality of what needs to be done yes. and you have to coordinate those disciplines. And then Janet, you had a comment too. Yeah though that we I would say a lot of it has to do with it's a really good question and in terms of like saying uh, pressure isn't the word I'd use a lot of it has to do with the scale of the the types of organizations we work with we tend to work with like kind of mid some we we work with some corporations but it tends to be more mid-scale you know smaller um, organizations um, because um, they often will use us where they're outsourced design firm or the outsourced kind of brand um, agency. We can be all those things. Whereas some of the larger companies, they, they have, they want multiple agencies because then there's just sure. also just, you're dealing with a lot of people, a lot of committees, a lot of teams. So we, we tend to work with smaller organizations. So um, to John's point, yes, residential is certainly a, a we, we've increased our residential um, portfolio significantly over the last 10 years. But we still work with lots of, you know, commercial um, developers and um, workplace. We've done some boutique hotels. We're not doing the Marriott's, right? We're doing the smaller, you know, boutique hotel, you know, environment. So, um, but I think what, what, you know, to your point, um, five years ago, this might have might have been more required, more explanation for some people. But now, it's actually just it's. I love the fact that people will come to us and say, okay, you know, help me create my space. Okay, so we help them. Mm-hmm articulate and define the vision for their workplace or, or, or what, what have you. And then it's, uh, I need to curate some better visuals, you know, to, to, to help, you know, bring life to our brand. Okay. Help them with that. Well, I need video, you know, okay, let's, let's come up with like tone and voice and video and what, sure. so it's fun. Actually. Um, it's fun that, and I enjoy that they come to us, for all these things. And we have a really diverse team of collaborators that we work with um, that help us get it done. And so, um, yeah. 
Well, I would like to, if I can, um, I'd like to drill down a little bit on residential, which, as you just said, has been not the entire, but it, it's been more of the dominance, if you will, in the last the last five five years. And our our goal as a company and brand has never been about the appliance, the cabinet, the color, the handle, far from it. At a macro level, our goal has been to say this, and it, it stems very much from, again, my, my childhood and where the whole Urban Bonfire brand and story came from, which I only figured out about you know eight or nine years ago. It was sort of in there somewhere, and I had this kind of aha moment on it. Um, I believe that, and especially in places like California, where you have you know weather that is remarkable for the vast majority of, of the year. <laughs> And that's that people, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I, I'm I'm empathetic to the the fires and what you've dealt with. I, I know it's been a very very difficult time. Um, but outside of of major catastrophe, um, I believe that people enjoy make memories in use their outdoor spaces for connection, entertaining, um, making memories in as much or in certain cases more than their indoor environments. My goal as a company and as a brand is to try to say, if that is the case, why has the consumer had such a, uh, a lesser than experience in outdoor kitchen entertaining space design material selection comparatively to the indoors for such a long time? and to try to bring the two up to an even level. And you made an excellent point earlier where, you know, one professional would hand it off to another and the designer stopped here. And that wasn't me, that was somebody else. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard and seen projects where the indoors is designed down to like the knob on the two-year-old's closet's underwear drawer. Yeah. And the outdoors is a stucco island from the big box store with a rusty grill in it. Nothing to do with budget, nothing to do with desire, to do primarily with fragmentation, to your earlier point. In that, in many cases, their historic interior designer has believed that their role finishes at the patio door. That's the landscaper. My job is yep. finished. And right. with or the, the contractor. Or the contractor. And with the utmost of respect to landscape, design, and build to contractor, these people are not typically kitchen and entertainment and living space designers the way interiors are. This has been our mission to bridge. And it's a long way of asking a question or, or trying to bring up the next topic, which is, have you seen the a change in request, prioritization, investment in meaning of outdoor space in the last five or seven or 10 years in your specific relationships with clients? Yes, um, absolutely. And I would say um, more pronounced, I mean, not shockingly, is in the last eight months, I sure. think it has become, I mean, there's definitely been a, a you know, and we can, we have n numerous projects we can point to where they, we help guide them to create and activate a space that's meaningful and functional and beautiful. And that is not an afterthought. And some of this stems from clients we've had that are foodies, you know, and they are, they want all the bells and whistles. And it's not just having a pretty place to sit outside, you know, um, it's about creating a, a really cool functional space. Um, mm -hmm. but I would say tr a tremendous amount of, there's been a tremendous increase in this, in this, um, deliverable, uh, in the last eight months. And, um, there's kind of a funny little story that we thought we might be fun to share, um, relatively. Okay. So it's, it's perhaps neither here nor there, but it feeds into this whole, um, sorry, I've got some background noise happening right now. <laughs> okay. Just as long as that too. Um, Anyway, um, so actually, can you hold on for one second? Of course. Wait one moment. No rush. It's all good for cash. You know, no I, can t I can, you know, tell Gay on that a little bit in that I think, I think the challenge has been uh, and is changing a bit is 
you know, you live in where you do. It's a totally different uh, geographical um, context of climate and uh, expected behavior. I grew up in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. You know, you bunker down in the winter. You know, you you shut it down. You you go inside. You you know, uh, you you know, why would I go outside and um, activate anything out there? um, uh, Because it's not comfortable to be there. So there's a paradigm that has occurred over the years within uh, cultural and geographical areas of lifestyle, what you do during certain seasons. And and so I always think that has to be acknowledged. Um, uh, You know, a lot of people think California is, you know, 72 degrees all year round, and it's not. Uh, You know, it changes. I think it gets cold. It gets warm. It gets hot. It gets windy. It gets whatever. And so those things have to be addressed, again, back more in a volumetric way. And I think the architectural perimeter as defined by uh, an exterior wall and then the interior does this and then you go outside and then that's a different practice. That's a different responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, I think fortunately enough, um, if you look at, you know, started in the late forties or early forties to the fifties, you know, that transition of, of an overuse term mid century, but you know, the horizontal uh, planes extend outward. You, you know, you, you blur the definition of where your living space is um, how, how you activate those spaces, what the spaces are for, the transparency versus, you know, you know, I grew up in a brick house, you know, with, with windows, you know, that you look Me out too. and, you know, and you close the windows down and keep the heat yep. in and, and et cetera. Yep. So, um, I, you know, I, I think there's a, there, there needs to be an effort perhaps maybe to communicate that it's not about the cabinetry. It's not about the spec of the stainless steel appliance that goes outside Again, that's, that's sequential, you know, that's a very tactical approach to problem solving and it's mm-hmm. not strategic. And, and the more that you see this as a blended lifestyle environment, um, and that's one of the things that, 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 that we bring into the residential side is the commercial background that we have. Of, it's gotta be um, correct. It's gotta be the code. It's gotta, it's gotta be bulletproof. Yep. And it's not, oh, it's not my, it's not my responsibility. Uh, you know, you, you, you do that. Oh, I don't, I, I just pick stuff out of catalogs, <laughs> right? And that's a challenge too. Um, that, well, then, uh, then basically, John, if I can, to your point, that is, how could you better encapsulate that than, and I love it, design in the absence of thoughtful content is decoration. Yeah. Literally yeah, from your mantra. I mean, it's so simple, yeah. but it, it, it's the simplest way to say something profound that I have heard right. because there is a football field between decoration and design. And often they can be at the consumer level, either from lack of awareness, lack of vocabulary, right. lack of understanding. Right. There could, that, those can be easily blurred. Janet, before you left, you wanted to uh, sure. come back to that, uh, to that, that, that discussion point. Yes. Yeah, I thought it just might be something kind of fun and, and novel to share um, kind of as it relates to what's been going on and the need to kind of create, um, you know, the fact that so, so many of us are looking because of the pandemic, ever, so many of our clients, us included, are looking for creative ways to activate space in our homes. We're looking at our homes in a more with a more creative eye and looking at underutilized space thinking, huh, what, you know, Oh, this could be a, a small office, or oh, this could be, you know, this this space over here that's filled with junk or just filled with like furnishings that no one ever sits on. Like, what what can we do with this space? So um, naturally, and this is this is what we're all experiencing. Um, we all know that we're looking. We're social creatures. We're looking for creative ways to gather and com- commune and be social. Um, that's safe and that is outdoors and so um, that's also novel. So essentially long story short is when everything shut down in, in March, um, we live in an area where we're in this eucalyptus grove and we have a canyon that's b- below our home that's part of our property. So we're fortunate we have a little more land, but uh, needless to say, we have this canyon, okay? And this is where we've pretty much, we've lived there for 17 years and we've really not done anything with it. It's where scary things go bump in the night. We know coyotes live down there. There's like wood piles with snakes. There's mm-hmm. possums and rats and big spiders and things that we just, so we would go down there occasionally with the dogs and poke around and 
see coyote poop and we're like, oh, you know, and then pretty much do most of our living up, up above, okay, at our house. Sure. Well, during the pandemic, you know, I would take a lot of my conference calls walking just up and down our driveway and I would meander into that little canyon and I would sit there, I would be on my calls going, God, I need somewhere to sit. Like, I, I, there's nowhere for me to sit down here except for that log and it's covered in spiders. So I order a woods, a swing and I, I have it hmm. delivered and I hang it from this a tree branch it's like 25 feet, you know, up. Okay, so I hang it from the tree. And so I'm on the swing. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool now. I've got a place to sit and take my calls. And then I'm like, oh, what, what else is down here? So I installed a wildlife camera to see, like, mm-hmm. what is actually making all that noise at night. So I, I install a wildlife camera to discover that we, first night, a bobcat is, like, smiling. In the, it's an infrared motion-activated camera. There's a bobcat that we had no idea lives in our canyon. Okay. Next night, a deer like we do not see deer ever. There is a deer living down there. Then there's a coyote family. There's the bunnies. So this cam, I called it my backyard COVID cam. And so I, I have it on my Instagram and I post it for friends. Okay. So long story short, my friends see this, our friends see it. And they're like, this is amazing. You have a wildlife corridor. Like let's go camping down there sometime. So we have a camp out in March. We get tents, <laughs> about eight of us spend the night down there and I'm like this is pretty cool so then we cleared out some space and I found this can we found this canopy of, of of trees that created a perfect outdoor living room so we cleared out all the dead wood piles and we brought I we found an old farm table on you know used for like a hundred bucks we put the farm table down there we put benches we found a bar like for zero like a, a, somebody was giving away this little wood bar got a chandelier that's like battery operated candles we strung lights and now we have this amazing outdoor living room mm-hmm. in a space that's surrounded by trees that for 17 years was there all along but never really and we have since then had birthday parties i hosted a baby shower a few weeks ago in it we've had other campouts. we've had musicians come we sit in the circle on logs we, so the point is like we in our own lives <laughs> we too you know, found this really cool little gem that existed that up, were it not for, you know, this whole experience, we never would have activated that. So and it, it's, it's, it's an amazing story and firsthand account, but I think you've hit a number of incredible points. I think one of the big ones, and, and I don't like the term silver lining, but one of the big ones that COVID has put all of us in, in terms of is more time at home to actually look at something that was a tree branch and is now a swing and was a had one use and through basic shift in thinking about or envisioning or having the time to just dream or imagine it changes definition completely and i think that finally and it's really getting started that the idea that the outdoors is not the afterthought. It's not the deck. It's not a, a backyard. It's a room. Yes. And it is a room that can, on an economics level, be activated on a per square foot basis, I believe, for far less cost than almost any indoor space in the home. Mm-hmm. If you look at the amount of what you can do with a $100 table <laughs> and a light and some stuff and bringing those people together, the amount of emotional goodwill and experiential impact yes to cost ratio yes is remarkable it really is no you're so right and you know what on top of all this the the overarching message here is it has brought so much joy to our lives i mean now people hear about our camp everyone knows about the camp and they're like they want an invitation to the camp and I've had people of all ages in this baby shower head that people are like, this is magical. I'm thinking we're just sitting in the forest on some stumps. But like, I think, yeah, it's just, that it's given us the time to appreciate what's around us and to. Um, I think that human psychology, whether we can articulate it or we know it or not in outdoor environments changes. And I think it goes back to our youth where, you know, when we were outdoors, you typically had to envision, create, whether that was a fort or a fictitious characters or playing in whatever it may be, you had to create your world. 
And there was, there were a number of dynamic elements that you couldn't control. Mm-hmm. Your mom yelling at you to come in for dinner. It snows, it rains, it's sunny, it's windy, it's whatever that you have to adapt. Whereas in indoors, it's a much more controlled environment. Things that really change. Lights are on, they're off, the TV's on, it's off, but it's much more structured. I think as soon as we are brought back into that place that is not within our complete control, that I don't always know what's coming next or what to expect because I could be sitting comfortably and a spider's on my ankle. I'm sorry, go ahead. Please, no, please, John, please. please. No, that's hilarious. Take, I know, take, I'm take so it from there. Yeah, because what also happens is that it's, it's Unless you have the, whether it's part of your DNA or part of your education, the, the ability to understand what, how space is defined, it's, it's not horizontally, it's, it's not vertical, it's volumetric. And the volume is what um, we subconsciously feel. And when you ask, or when we ask clients about places that they feel inspired or that they feel so comfortable in uh, and examples of where those have been. Uh, Typically, they're never in their home when they state this. It's always on a trip someplace. It could be at a hotel or a restaurant or, you know, at a forest. And and what, what this always comes down to is that it's the volume that is informing them and giving them either you know, I'm not walking in this place. Uh, I'm turning around. I'm not going to eat here. I'm not going to shop here. Um, I'm yep. leaving. It's the volumetric senses that hit us, that informs us whether wow. we are comfortable or not. And I think back to a point that, that you made earlier about that transition from the that vertical wall to the outside, it's volume. Interior is volume. Outside is volume. Uh, and 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 the more that you break that barrier down, the paradigm of that, into mm-hmm. the aspect that it is all connected, but it's not based on the floor material or the glass spec or the cabinetry spec, indoor, outdoor, whatever. It all comes down to the context of of touch points in sequence, and that's key. And and in your background in the retail side, you all know it's about sequence. You walk in, everybody goes figure eight, everybody does this, right? You know, how do you, how do you enhance that and make it more comfortable? Yeah. I remember, and it, it's obviously going to sound a little bit, uh, a little cheesy maybe, but I, one of the great lines in, in superhero movies, I think it's Spider-Man is with great <laughs> power comes great responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And the two of you and, and, and the, the sheer nature of the firm that you have created has a lot of responsibility for the number of aspects of a project that you undertake at either the residential or the commercial level because you have this uh, harmonious practice and it's not done in silos to, to your earlier point, what we've already discussed. Where at this point, after so many years of doing this, where do you seek the inspiration? Where do you find it? How does it come to you to make each project not only fun and vibrant and keep you engaged and interested, but also that you are giving your very best to each client saying, you, do you need to seek continuous inspiration to help inform the inspiration that you provide to your clients? And if so, where and how do you find that or how does that come to you? Well, Janet is the chief inspiration officer, so I'll let her uh, take that. (laughs) Well, I would say, I mean, it always has been, um, you know, my, my number one super power is curiosity. I always love exploring and novelty. So travel, you know, travel, has always been a huge inspiration. Doesn't matter if you're in the middle of the desert or, you know, or, you know, walking the streets of, you know, Tokyo, it's travel has always been a huge part of it for us. Just seeing how others live. And um, there's, there's so much inspiration that can be drawn from that. So I would say that that is where so much of it comes from. Now that's not as possible these days. However, when you have an e-bike, 
the world is your oyster. So it sure is. <laughs> I got to tell you, I mean, the, you know, when the beaches were closed here in the last whatever, you know, you, I, I put probably 800 miles on my e-bike and in doing so lots of inspiration. I have discovered areas in Southern California and San Diego I never knew existed. So I just think, you know, I think it's Diana Vreeland, her quote, you know, which I adhere to is the, I must travel, which is just, and I don't mean travel to exotic locales, just see and observe and just get out and, and, absorb the texture and the senses of, of, you know, get out of your bubble. And it's yeah. also conversations, conversations with people like yourself and, and, and engaging you. with creative companies like yourselves who you. are really innovators in their space. And so we have many, many different organizations and companies we work with that are, you know, top of their game and in terms of innovations and product and design. So really trying to stay connected with them. There's, there's so many, um, but yeah, just also just, you know, we collaborate with a lot of artists and architects mm -hmm. and having those meaningful conversations, um, you know, um, also help in, in our kind of in our creative process as well. I'm a huge fan of e-biking. I uh, up until two years ago, I had a, a Vespa, which I sold uh -huh. and got an e-bike <laughs> and I've never looked back. It is best investment ever. Just Best investment ever. My, my wife and I in August, my wife is a, um, is a yoga teacher and yoga studio owner. So I don't have to tell you the impact. I'm sure you know firsthand closing studios and her lease came up and I said, I think we should become a one car family. And by using bike and walking and the occasional Uber, we've since August been a one car family and I've never been happier. It's wonderful. Yes. It does okay. not feel like a compromise. No. At at all. All. In fact, no, I love hearing this. You know, you probably know this and I, I should find this, this citation or, or this quote and, and send it to you, but there's studies have been done by neurologists and, and that say that when you're on a bicycle, the, your, the way your eye, the way the brain is, is receiving information um, also the senses, the wind, there is a euphoria that is felt when you're on a bike and without hands down for the last, I'd say 15 years since, you know, um, not even more than 15 years. I love when we travel to mm -hmm. get a bike, whether e-bike or not, just get on a bike yep. because as you know, when you're on a bicycle and you're exploring and again, you know, whether you're looking for inspiration or not, it just comes your way. You can stop. And if you see something cool, like we were riding our bikes through Montecito, a couple of weeks ago, which has incredible, beautiful architecture and gardens and just, you know, and you see something, you're like, I'm going to go down this alley. I don't care. I don't need to find a parking place. I don't need to do a U-turn. Just all right. you go and you stop and take, I took a million photos of just really cool little funky, you know, outdoor sculpture. And um, uh, we've, yeah, ridden bikes all over Marfa, Texas, and just selling weird little houses and funky little courtyards. And it's just the best. It's the have best. you been to, have you been to Montreal? No, and I need to. It's on my list. Yeah, I've I've been there uh, when I was uh, just starting out uh, in the design uh, as a professional for a design conference, and it was just amazing, just beautiful. I, whenever travel is allowed again, whenever that may be, um, from what you have just described as what moves you and the experiences of using your bike or walking and finding. Montreal, and I'm obviously biased because I'm from here, it has just remarkable elements of design and old world woven with new world and technology. I, I think you would absolutely love it. And I hope that I'm here when you come because I would, yeah. And just no a remarkable place, remarkable place. That would be yeah, great. We'll, that would be great. Yeah, we'll buy you a cocktail. Right. I love it. No, I think that that's... Sounds good. Love to do yeah, that. That's... Yeah, yeah. Well, we were in Vancouver about two years ago, and, and that was amazing. Yeah. I really enjoyed Vancouver. that. Vancouver is a great city as well. So remarkably different from Montreal in terms yes. of layout, culture, experience. I mean, Montreal is... It's the best parts of Chicago and the best parts of New York City and coupled in with some amazing parts of New Orleans. It's got just these, I'll say no more because nothing I'll say will articulate it. All to say is I'm willing to bet that if you 
come depending on when, obviously, seasonality-wise. Uh, I think that uh, you'll have a wonderful experience. Well, there's also a depth of architecture and historical, you know, silhouettes that you see when you're there, um, I recall. It was powerful. I would, I, I, it's, I would love yeah. to come. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the, a lot of our city is still, uh, dates back to the late 1700s where it was a walled fortress with original mm -hmm. stonework, cobblestone, it's still completely, yeah, right. they replaced about, about nine, nine or 10 years ago, the main, the water main that feeds the city. To give you a sense of how old that infrastructure was, the actual, I mean, to call them pipes is ridiculous. They're eight feet in diameter. We're still, <laughs> we're still, we're still wood. That's amazing. To give you a sense of how old some of the infrastructure of the city actually is. Remarkable. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely get it's, there. Yeah. It's on the list. Official. It's official. It's happening. <laughs> yeah. 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 Once this science fiction movie is over, we will right, get there. Right. Right. <laughs> Last thing I want to ask you about, and I want to be mindful of, of your time. It is very rare that you see a almost any firm, let alone a multidisciplinary creative firm, state a mantra on its website. Quite rare. And yours are fun and simple and thought-provoking and also very real because at the same time as writing something like a strategic design process takes discipline for all parties involved. <laughs> Two sentences later, dogs are good. <laughs> I think that that fun and playful nature that you've accomplished in, in your, in what you do is it's really refreshing. And I think that it's take some of that scary architects are very serious and they draw with rulers and they don't smile and, and designers are just putting color on stuff. And it's like, you seem to have, whether it was premeditated or just by virtue of you as people and how you want to impart your, your wisdom or your, your vision on the world and on your clients, what made you or what, was the, what, what inspired you to create this mantra? And without getting into all six of them, uh, how did they, is that a work in progress? Is that your foundation? I just, I just thought it was so cool that I really wanted to talk to you about it. Well, I think that there are per, these are personality attributes of, of both of us. And they represent uh, a blend of our um, um, identity as it relates to um, uh, non-designers, uh, as well as our professional background at the same time. That's, that's my uh, Janet? Yeah, I would say it is, it perhaps is non-traditional, but I think a big part of what draws people to our firm, aside from, you know, our portfolio and our, our approach is, is us. You know, we are, we're a little quirky. We're not super serious. I mean, we get, we, we get things done, but we are, you know, we're, we like to have fun. We like to inject, insert a sense of humor. In fact, we have a lot of really weird things on our website, which we took down recently. I'm like, maybe this is too weird, but you know, I like to keep things weird. And you know, it, um, so yes, the, the mantra though is evocative of, like John said, our personalities and, um, and. Um, I want to tell you if I can, my favorite one of the six, and it's not, that dogs are good. My wife would select that one. We have a new <laughs> five-month-old uh, yellow lab at home. Uh -huh. um, but I do want to talk about one, which is great design connects with people on an emotional level. And I want to speak about that for a second because I think there are a lot of people in the world who work with architects and work with designers and spend huge amounts of time and money to create a kitchen or a living room or a space that has no emotional connection that they're actually not necessarily even happy in because they were led down a path of a design professional that didn't think about the emotional experience of the space. 
I'll give you a firsthand story. When I was 10, my parents moved from our original home. I was uh, sharing a room with my six-month-old brother. I was 10. Too small. We had to move. We actually moved on the same street, not by any design, just by fluke, two blocks up into a much larger home. And for the first time, my parents worked with a designer to create the living room, dining room sort of experience. And the time that went in, and this is in the old days of the designers came with the fabrics and they're like, there were meetings every Wednesday night. It was like a whole process. And it ended up in a living room, which was beautiful. And it was nice and California shutters. And I'm a 10 year old kid. What do I know from the, it looks good, but we never used it. We don't want to get anything on the couch. <laughs> don't, right. you can't go in there with that. Like literally once a year at best, we would sit in there when there was like a special reason. So all this time yeah. and all that, like, it was almost taken in the psychology of let's create a museum. Right. Everything is pretty yeah. and cold, but, and you're not allowed to touch anything. Mm -hmm. Right. I get the sense that you are, the two of you and your firm take a very opposite approach to that. Hence your mantra point on connecting people on an emotional level. Just to close today, can you share with me your thoughts on, on those, on those things and on, that point of your, of your mantra. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first and Janet and you can close. Um, I think a, a lot of the, uh, there's that one of the phrases in there that you referenced earlier is that when I first started teaching, um, uh, again, my background is industrial and product design. Um, and I ended up in the interior or the space making place just purely by luck or accident. It wasn't strategic. So when I started teaching interior designers, um, one of the things that drove me batty about the people who were coming into the program is that they weren't designers. They had good taste. They understood how to select things out of catalogs. But if you ask them to design something, design that table, design that, that uh, couch, design that wall that comes here and do, they had no idea what to do. So how I shifted the context uh, within the academic environment is that I, I started to recruit industrial designers and architects into the program, almost like an athletic recruiter. I, you know, I went out and I, I went to high schools, I went to other you know, departments and showed what we did to get that type of um, uh, perspective into the program. So in it's 11 o'clock. So in summary, the, the whole aspect of um, you know, how we practice is that it comes down to making sure that the client or the user, depending upon the vocabulary you want to use, mm -hmm. um, is engaged with us in this journey. We're not the black cape with the beret and the cane coming in, whirling around and throwing the beautiful object on the table and go, this is it. Take it or leave it. Right. We like to make sure that they're involved and that they feel literally integrated with the, with the final outcome, because if not, it's strictly a portfolio piece that you get in, photograph and get out, and you just hope they like it when you're done. Beautiful. Right. Janet, your thoughts yeah, I, or your, your, yeah. your, your angle? I think John said it, said it really well, um, yeah. but that it, in order for a space to really connect on an emotional level, you really, we need to, during that programming and discovery phase with our clients, really understand what drives them, what are their motivations, what is the essence of, of who they are and what, kind of what's their fire, what's their, what is it that emotionally moves them what, um, and their family and, and really, really having a lot of discussion around that, not let's scroll through Pinterest and pick out a white couch. And for those, there are those folks that just want catalog luxury, as we call it, where it's mm -hmm. like, I just want sure. what's on this page. And that's usually not the kind of folks we work with because there's, you know, we, we really want to go deep and, and ensure that the space feels timeless, is evocative of who they are as a family or as a brand, mm -hmm. you know, and is not something that's just kind of, replicated everywhere um so um and and maybe a little bit of quirkiness a little you know more than some you know i hate the word whimsy isn't the word but just something that really is evocative of who they are as people um and that's that's what makes any space unique 
Well, well you know, also in, uh, as an addendum to this, in that if you look at, uh, um, and, and you brought this up earlier in a, in a different topic, but if people move into, and they say, an existing house or an existing workplace, whatever that space is, it's fairly easy uh, for the culture to adapt to it because they really have no choice. This is where the kitchen goes, or this is where the conference area is. Here's the lobby. You know, you, you accept it and you can decorate it, maybe put some different finishes and, and just, okay, this is it. It is difficult and in many cases painful, especially on the residential side, you know, because we've become marriage counselors when you start from scratch. And if you are starting from something that doesn't exist and you have to understand and frame it, and there's no limitations outside of obviously budget, site, square footage, et cetera, you have to work within on codes. Um, it is a tough process to go down. And I don't know what the statistic is now, but at one point, I think 10 years ago, I read the study, one of the top 20 or 30 causes for marriage interruptions, disruptions, perhaps divorces, is building a new house. It is unbelievably taxing upon relationships because things come out that you never knew were there. When you ask them, what do you really want? How do you really live? When you wake up, where do you go in the evening? What do you, list? you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a volume that we can manipulate based upon how you really want to live versus how you're forced to live. Teaching or trying to impart on people who come from a certain level of education and experience, how to morph into your point, uh, enough of a psychologist to extract what is the intended human behavior. That's a very hard thing to teach because that just comes with, that's just, first of all, it's completely subjective and it really can only come with time. You can't do it on a checklist or on a form. So you just can't. It, it's so, it's so deep. And it's, it's, I get the sense from, you know, my homework, my research, my, my following of, of your work, that that is very much part of what, what makes your firm and what you do special to you and to your clients. It's that it's not in a box. It's not a set of letters after your name. It's the fact that you can go deep and really extract the, the nectar of what that client is looking for, even if they can't articulate it themselves. Right. Um, Sometimes you have to show them a little bit, but but, sure. but it is important that 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 they are part of the DNA yes. of it um, instead of it being a designer's DNA. Like the example that you gave, I can't tell you yep. how many portfolio shots that you see are really, you know, just not used. It looks great, and but what the hell happened here? Right? Yep. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of scary when you see this stuff. Yeah, totally agree. It has been up. it is it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I um, I learned so much in my research, and today I, uh, I we could probably go on for several hours. But what I'd like, if that's okay, is hopefully when travel is allowed again, California is at the top of my list. Most of our business, or uh, I shouldn't say most, a, a big amount of our business is in California. Uh, I'm due to make a trip. I would absolutely love if your schedule is allowed to meet with you and, and maybe see some of your projects firsthand. I, I, it would be so much fun. And if before or after that Montreal is on your, uh, on your radar, please, it would be my, my really my honor to try to help you pick the right places to stay, see, eat at, experience. It's, it's one of my great loves. That would well, be we won't charge you at all if you want to camp a tent at Camp McCulley. Right. You know, got, you can come out got, and stay, and uh, and, and we've got tents for you. You know, you're more than welcome. Yeah. Yeah. That's very that's very thoughtful. I might, uh, you know, maybe my <laughs> wife can do like yoga classes for all of us. And uh, yes, you know, it could yes, be so much fun. I've been actually so wanting to do yoga classes down there. <clears throat> it's been proposed, so we will all charge right. the e-bikes up for you in anticipation Please. of arrival. Have you guys ever been up to uh, a hotel called the Surf Rider up in Topanga area? You know, I think Malibu. I've heard about I have it. Not. I haven't been there. I need to see it. My wife went there about a year and a half ago and had outside of a little hotel we go to in Nosara, Costa Rica, where we got married. Oh, nice. um, it is her favorite hotel experience. So simple. Okay. And complete fluke. The first 
podcast, the first fireside chat episode I ever filmed by complete fluke was with the architect who designed that. And I didn't even know it until I was in the research. So yeah, yeah, we heard the podcast with Doug. Yeah, That's it was awesome. great. What a, what a, what a, what a crazy, uh, what are the chances? Yep. So yeah, cool. it was, it was a great, great interview. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. It was really a pleasure, really a pleasure. And um, I'm, I'm sure we'll be in touch then. For sure. May I take this opportunity first with, uh, you know, all of us going through COVID and how bad it is in California and Texas and, and other places to wish you and your family and your loved ones continued health and safety. And in case I don't speak to you before, may I wish you a beautiful, beautiful holiday season and uh, wishing you only good things for 2021. Thank you. Yeah. To you. you thank well. you. Thank, thank, you. You. thank you both. Have well. a nice afternoon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. After that episode, I feel like I have two new friends, almost kindred spirits in the way John and Janet McCulley present themselves, their ideologies, and how they present to their clients the realm of possibility for indoor, outdoor, design, experiences, architecture, and just life. I really enjoyed the episode and getting to know them a little bit, learning about their experience in retail programming, how they founded their own firm and came together to create truly, truly memorable designs and projects for their clients. As always, if you have an idea for an episode of the Fireside Chat, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to Urban Bonfire. And if you'd like, please follow us. Our podcast is available on Apple, on Spotify, and of course on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Instagram at Urban Bonfire. Until next time, thanks very much for listening.